Hello there. Don't have a good day. Have a great day. Talk to me, Goose. Restless. You steal the Declaration of Independence. Why so serious? World. I could do this all day. Are you watching closely? Welcome, everybody, to the One-Eyed Film Podcast. I'm your host, Seth Mossberg, and today we have Will joining us. Heyo! Today we're talking about Avatar and Avatar The Way of Water. Avatar obviously came out a number of years ago, broke box office records in how much it made, and Avatar The Way of Water just released about a month ago, and so we have our thoughts on both of them, more thoughts on The Way of Water because I connected more with that movie, but we figured we could also cover Avatar 1, and just to be, and just to be completely transparent with you guys, we recorded Avatar The Way of Water discussion first, and now we are recording Avatar 1, the two, one from 2009, just to be clear, so if some of the things we repeat ourselves... It's because we recorded them at different times. So, Will, you just recently watched the first Avatar. What are your thoughts on it? Yep. So I just watched it with my sister, who enjoys the movie a lot. She really likes them. And I know that there are a lot of big fans for these films. I'm personally not one of them. Since I've watched Avatar 1 and having watched Avatar 2, I've kind of been thinking about it. And what I've kind of come back from is... Avatar 1, I feel like, is a very nice, simple story, and it's it's like the first one, like I say in, about the, our, our discussion of Avatar 2, The Way of Water, it's a very competent film, and I've heard some people talk about how Avatar 1 is, like, the most film ever. Like, it's super expensive, there's a lot of, lot of money that goes into it, it's, like, got all the cliches, it's, like, the, the most movie ever of all time. And I think that Avatar 1, just for me, is a lot more simple, and it's fine, but I feel like Avatar 2 is more enjoyable in a sense because it's got more depth i feel like and more and there's more to chew on than compared to avatar one i would totally agree with you i would say that avatar 2 brings at least a little bit more of a story that's more relatable or at least you can connect with and you'll hear a discussion on that in the second part of the episode but a lot of criticism from both movies in general but really for avatar one for all those years that it was the top of the box office was that the story was just not well written you know when you look at avatar one it's a very simple story which in a certain sense is is a certain strength but also i think one of its big weaknesses i think avatar one is a very good background movie or a very simple pleasure watch uh quote unquote where you can just if you want just want to watch something about like aliens and dudes fighting and guns and stuff that's kind of like a, it's a very simple story it's not deep and you just want to sit down and relax i think avatar is a very good film in that regard and there's a lot of films like that but the thing is avatar isn't just a simple cw or hallmark movie it's millions of dollars put into it and i think the thing about avatar is it's kind of almost a waste because there's so much you could do with so much of that money i think that avatar has the foundations for incredible storytelling but it kind of just keeps a basic story which is it's it plays it safe but it doesn't really break any grounds as compared to like other films we've watched such as the prestige where the prestige is like very crazy and all sorts of like stuff happens in it and it's but it's got way less uh visual effects quote unquote it has way less spectacle uh than avatar one exactly i would say that you'll you'll hear me say this in the second half of the episode but the avatar movies are made for spectacle and it is not made for you to be invested in the sense that it is a story that has you riveted and wondering what's going to happen next. It's more along the lines of spectacle where you are wowed at the visuals. That's kind of the essence of the Avatar franchise, at least at this point as we're getting more movies. And I say this later, you watch a Nolan movie for a incredible story and some mind-bending thoughts, I suppose. You don't necessarily watch James Cameron for that. James Cameron is a very spectacle-driven visual guy. And I would say, I don't think that the 
millions of dollars put into either movies were wasted because at least from my perspective as a guy with a degree in animation these movies pushed visual effects to their limits to the point where they were creating new visual effects for these movies to further just how how far can we go with technology and i i really appreciate that with these movies and i kind of want to lead into why why this first movie was so hated for the 13 years between its release and the sequel coming out so many people didn't like that it was the top of the box office or they didn't like that it was topping out endgame for for the highest grossing movie of all time but yet when you would ask people they wouldn't really know why it was hated sure there wasn't a decent story but that's not enough to hate a movie there's plenty of other movies that i enjoy that really don't make any sense when you think of let's say national treasure national treasure is kind of a guilty pleasure movie they're well made for sure they're not always believable but they're entertaining and i would say that avatar is even more entertaining while the lack of story is disappointing sometimes it definitely is not the worst it could be and I don't know exactly why for the last 13 years people have hated the Avatar franchise. I definitely think it deserves some credibility, but I also think that it's no Dark Knight Rises, it's no Endgame, it's nothing like that where people will praise it endlessly without seeing the flaws in it, but it's also almost the opposite of that where people will criticize it to the point where they won't actually watch it and understand it's a pretty decent movie. Yeah, because that's like the main thing that kind of came back to me as I watched the first one was, wow, this actually isn't like as bad as like some people seem to make it out. Because you can watch it, and I think Avatar 2 is even better in that regard. That's my personal take. But at least in Avatar 1, I watched it and I was like, you know, it's it's competent. Like, it's not necessarily a, a great story, but it's not like a terrible story. Exactly. It's it, it's a it's a very cliche. It's kind of like, you know, we've all heard it before. It's dances with wolves in space. Okay, sure. It's got that kind of guy at the white savior trope. There's like some things that are kind of silly with it. You know, the humans are all the bad guys and it's there's like not a lot of nuance and you have the Navi who are the noble savages and they're defending the planet and whatever. But it's not like cringy and it's not like, oh, it, that story was so bad I can't watch it. It's it's more of just, you know, this is a simple story. I feel like it could have been better, but it's not a bad story. And so it is interesting that there's like a lot of or at least in social media, there seems to be a lot of just general distaste towards avatar yeah i wonder how much better these movies could be if the story was solid and an incredibly written you know masterpiece of script writing and acting that's where these movies fall short for sure but i don't really know why people hate it or why people seem to have hated it. It would be interesting to know individuals' reasoning if they were jumping on the bandwagon like most people and just everyone else hates it so we can hate it even though I've never seen it. Whatever. Whatever the reason may be. I don't think it deserves the hate that it gets and yet there's not really anything credible besides the visual effects. Like you said, there's a lot of movie in Avatar 1 and in Avatar 2, but it is more of a prequel to Avatar 2 where you would want to watch it for information to fill in Avatar 2 so that you can enjoy Avatar 2, which I believe is the better of the two. There are some things that I do enjoy about the film. Like, I just love the technology of the humans because I distinctly remember as a kid, I was like really terrified of the movie. I wasn't allowed to watch it because it was PG-13. And even when I was, I would sometimes like, you know, sneak and watch my sisters watching it. And I would get scared of like the cat people or or the the cover of the movie itself has like has Jake's half blue alien face and that scared me. But looking back on it, I mean, there are some things that I really do like. I really do like the the aesthetics for sure. And I didn't really fully grasp the story. So I really attached to characters such as uh, Colonel Korch, who I think is probably my favorite character. He's not necessarily a very complex character, but I just love his personality and 
how he's just very simple in a certain sense. And I like the human technology and I love how the world is developed and the world building behind Pandora. And it's interesting too that, I don't know if you know this, but there actually was a video game that James Cameron produced before Avatar came out to hype it up. There's like other ones coming out and there's like this really strange world of other material that's about these movies, but aren't these movies themselves. Yeah, I know that James Cameron wrote a bunch of lore for the world and languages and species and all that so that he could inform his storytelling, which is a sign of wanting to do good world building. We kind of talked about that in Is Star Wars Dead, where George Lucas was able to expand the world outside of the movies through encyclopedias and give each background character a story, maybe a little overkill in some areas, but the same way that J.R.R. Tolkien did that for The Lord of the Rings, where he wrote the world first and then the story. That can help a filmmaker make a decent story, I would agree. But also it's not an automatic win, an automatic key to success for your film. I do appreciate that he did that and I didn't know there was a video game. I'd be interested to know what that video game added to the lore or the movies in general. If if you're missing something, if you're not really, that's interesting. I feel like there's a lot lot more potential that can be taken with this world because I've glanced over the Avatar wiki on uh, fandom.com. It has a lot of interesting information about a lot of these extra source materials and about the films themselves. But it just seems that the Avatar franchise is a very, it's got a rich uh, world. It's got Pandora. It's got lots of interesting ideas, but it doesn't seem to really explore them a whole lot. And I feel that's kind of what I'd really like to, I'd be really interested to find out more is like all these other video games and books that are kind of come out and stuff like that. They're, they basically are just the, the Avatar film. They're very simple story. They got like the bad humans, the good Navi. And I feel like that there's a lot of missed opportunity that you could explore. In the second film, which we'll talk about later, there's it's kind of the same thing. There's more story. There's a more nuanced, quote unquote, story, but it's not necessarily very nuanced. And I feel like there's a lot more interesting things you could do with the human side. Uh, I'm very intrigued on the, the on the human side of things within the Avatar franchise, you know? Like, what's their, that perspective? Because you only ever get, like, the perspective of a disgruntled Marine and kind of the Na'vi. So there's a lot of interesting things about this franchise, and there's kind of a mystery about it, too, because it came out many years ago, and it went, it was very successful. And James Cameron always had this vision of doing a series of movies, and it just took so much longer for technology to develop to the point where he could actually do it. And now we're in this weird point where suddenly we're seeing the end of his dream, at least in the next few years, potentially. So, I don't know, it's just like, the Avatar is such a very interesting franchise to talk about. Definitely. And this all kind of culminates in the point I made in episode zero, that many movies exist to take us out of this world to a place that is better more perfect than ours currently obviously there was when you're talking at a human depravity level obviously these humans these navi kind of have an awareness of sin but in the sense that we're in awe of pandora at least of how beautiful it is because there's nothing like it on earth these movies exist to take us away from earth to physically a more beautiful place and and there's so much awe in watching these movies the last thing i'll say before we transition into our discussion on avatar the way of water is if you decide to watch both these movies compare the visuals And I would say that the first Avatar movie definitely holds up with its visual effects, but it also 
is improved upon so much better now, 13 years later with The Way of Water. And I'll link some Corridor Crew videos down in the description where you can watch them break down kind of the nitty gritty of the animation and how that has improved both in how they pushed technology forward with the first one and how they developed it further for the second one. Those videos are very interesting, so give them a watch if you're interested. Yes, because it's interesting because Avatar, I feel like, was the film that like everyone had watched. Everyone kind of was like, yeah, okay, it's, at the very least you thought, okay, it's fine, you know, I enjoy it, whatever. It's nothing spectacular uh, compared to other films, but it was just kind of a movie. And now all of a sudden, it's not just a movie. Now it's it's a series, which is, uh, no, I don't really think anyone ever thought that we'd be getting to see Avatar again. So yeah. I'm kind of excited to see where it'll go, but it's just certainly been a very strange thing because I never thought that uh, James Cameron would actually be able to finish this film series. I definitely think that he was kind of pushed into it because of how franchises are being capitalized on in this day and age where you kind of need to make at least a sequel, if not a full-blown franchise or universe for your movie. This kind of happened with the Dark Universe that fell flat, a bunch of other movies that felt like they need to expand into different stories with the same characters. And I think it kind of works for Avatar, where there is definitely a lot more to explore. But also, he, yeah, he could have left it at the first Avatar movie and it would have been fine. But I definitely think that he has more to tell, especially through the visuals that kind of break the fourth wall in a way. Because, like I said you go to see avatar for the spectacle and you go because you know that visual effects have changed from here on out they're going to be different because of what they have achieved in this movie you understand that that's kind of the point of seeing these movies it's basically the marvel marvelification effect quote unquote um it's you got to make a franchise you got to expand i mean i'm happy that james Cameron is able to do this and i do i am excited for these next films because even if they're not groundbreaking films in regards to story at least least they're competent films and i'm confident that i will be able to enjoy the future ones and i'm excited to see if we get something that that'll be that'll just blow us away like endgame that would be fantastic i i can't wait if that's the case but with that said let's travel back in time a week ago to when we recorded the discussion on the way of water enjoy the second half of the episode Today we're going to be talking about the long-anticipated Avatar 2. I saw it a couple weeks ago. You just saw it today. So you've only had a couple hours to reflect. What are your still sort of raw initial thoughts about it? Initially, I'd say, I mean, it is three hours long, and I'm not one for generally going in for very long medias and stuff. But I would say it was enjoyable. I went to watch it with my sister. Overall, at least initially, you know, I enjoyed it. I liked it. It was a fun film. It was fine. I don't think it's the best film ever. And if I had to rewatch it, I mean, I, I would probably be willing to do that as well. I probably just wouldn't watch all of it. Maybe I'd skip through some of the longer parts of it. Yeah, I, I really enjoyed it too. I didn't think that it was anything spectacular in the realm of storytelling. I'd say that it's a pretty stock standard plot. And it's 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 nothing too super surprising. So it's it's not necessarily a spectac- a spectacularly new and different, uh, at least on a storytelling perspective. But it's it delivers. It's got a, a very follows through plot. It makes sense. It's competent. There's a lot of people that I've seen online complaining about two things: the runtime and the storytelling. The story itself is pretty basic. This is my takeaway from both Avatar movies at this point. You don't watch it for the story. There is no compelling twist. There's There's no crazy, uh, elaborate characters. They're pretty basic for the sake of the CG. The real reason anything like Avatar exists is so that James Cameron can flex the CG that he has developed with companies like Weta Digital. 
pushing the boundaries of new CG, and this is something that I pay attention to a lot because I have a degree in animation. I gotta say, this movie really was a beautiful movie, visually. It broke down some boundaries for CG artists who are still waiting for technology to develop, and Weta has really made that next step in CG production for something for things to be crazier and more epic, and this movie delivered on that. The whole point, for those of you who don't keep up with CG production and how it is developing over time, water has been very difficult to replicate digitally in a computer. It is because there's a lot of refractions and it's completely transparent usually. So let's say Sam Worthington is acting in a pool of water. You cannot simply paint him out and then put a Navi character in his place because the water refracts so many different ways that it's almost impossible to do it perfectly. So, for the most part, visual effects companies have tried to steer clear of anything water-related. In the past, it was hair-related. This is where certain advancements, like when they made Monsters, Inc., and Sully was a very hairy monster, it was because they were developing new technologies to try and fix these problems where they couldn't really have hair simulations and stuff. Then it was destruction physics. We're still working on it, but sometimes physics in CG just don't work as well as they do in the real world. They're getting better at that, but now water is kind of the next big thing that they're tackling. And with this movie, James Cameron took his time on it, 13 years on it, so that they could develop the technology for it. There's a lot of people nowadays who realize that something is completely possible in CG, but the technology hasn't developed yet. I was talking with my dad the other day about how in the 80s or 90s, you couldn't really comprehend how fast technology would develop, or you couldn't understand the boundary of technology hasn't developed yet because technology was still very limited and now we have that understanding that in just a couple years these things could change in an, in just a simple piece of code that somebody can write. I mean Weta has these incredible people working for them that are breaking ground on new CG technology and that got to be showcased here in Avatar 2. There are other things to be said about this movie but for the most part people are divided. It is, I've heard, a pretty disaster is one word I've heard. It's a lazy story and it's a stupid film those are things that I've heard but almost all these people would still recommend you go see it because as much as it's a poorly written story and not completely fleshed out characters and sometimes a little awkward especially when it came to Sigourney Weaver's character it's still a beautiful movie it's incredible that almost none of it looks fake I knew that it was all ones and zeros being computed in these massive supercomputers, and yet they looked completely real. The reason it is not as simple to just find a tall person and paint them blue is because paint reacts differently to light than human skin does. Paint more reflects light. It's a sort of gloss, it's kind of shiny, and human skin is very absorbent of light. You don't really notice it over most of your body, but when you look at your ears or your nose, especially if you shine a flashlight to it, you can see that it lets some light through, but that's not letting light through it's absorbing it and dispersing it throughout your skin. And the way that they nailed the skin and the way they nailed water in this movie is spot on. They took their time with it. They really made it the best it could be. And that on top of hair, they've been working on hair for a while, but all of the hair looked completely real. They had different kinds of hair. They had curly hair. They had dreadlocks. They had just normal wavy hair. They had wet hair, a lot of wet hair, and it was really cool. Just the ways Cameron had to flex this whole movie. I remember the one scene where the teenagers are fighting right on the edge of the beach, right on the edge of the water, and I thought the only reason it's happening in this location at on the beach side is to show that it doesn't look fake. Like, it looked perfect. 
the the way they got to there, meaning the story that got the teenagers to be fighting, is a little thin. It's pretty. It's very thin. It's very poorly written. Again, you don't see Avatar for the story, and the way Cameron was able to flex with this shot because he knew it would be difficult, but they did it, and that's what counts. Yeah, I think you've pretty much just spilled it all out right there. It's Avatar one and Avatar two. They both look fantastic, and. It was especially nice seeing it on the big screen where you can really appreciate all the details. And But there are lots of other elements to a movie than just how it looks. And I think Aristotle or another Greek philosopher once said, you know, the most important thing about a play, and we can uh, translate this to a movie, is the plot and its characters. And the least important is how it looks. Mm. And so that, I think, can say a lot about the movie of Avatar. I feel like people are a bit more harsh towards the second film. And personally, I would say that the plot is better than the first one. It's it's not as you don't know clearly what's going to happen per se, but I I can definitely can see that it's a bit more stock character. It's a bit more of a stock plot. Yeah, a, a lot of people's frustration are with the characters such as Korich, who obviously dies in the first one, and yet they bring him back and don't question it. I I feel like you could have had so much more compelling story if maybe there was a bigger bad instead of using the character who obviously died in the last movie. I do not like bringing characters back from the dead because it gives no meaning to death. Because in theory, as I saw in Robot Head's video, that now there's the possibility that they keep coming back. Like you can keep killing him and he will keep coming back because they have his memory stored on this flash drive that they can now upload to any avatar body and now you can have eternal life in this avatar body which now undermines the kind of the unobtainium of this movie which is the live forever serum that they get from the whales or whatever. This is where the plot falls apart, I think, is just because if you introduce something as groundbreaking as downloading someone's consciousness and being able to put it into an avatar body, then death becomes meaningless. And it wouldn't have meant anything if Spider had or hadn't saved Korich at the end. Now, the reason he saved him, the only reason, I think, is because they needed the bad guy to keep going. And I think Korich is going to be the bad guy for the future movies, but I don't think they're executing it that well, is at least my opinion. Interesting. I would kind of disagree, because mostly because I've heard of other interviews that Cameron has had these films planned out, like how they're going to go, how they're going to end for a long time. And he said before that Quaritch was going to come back in a certain way. And so I wasn't surprised with Quaritch coming back. And at least in some level, I kind of like it because I like Quaritch a lot. His character, at least, especially in the first film, he's kind of stock. He's kind of like a little typical, but he, I don't know, I just kind of like him. He's sort of like a fun villain, but he's not necessarily the biggest bad, but he does make a compelling uh, antagonist specifically for Jake. It's interesting how they bring him back because he's in the body of the things he hates and he's hunting Jake. But at the same time, they do introduce Miles, aka Spider, which is his son, which it's an interesting thing. I can see where that's divisive, but at the very least, it does allow for some more drama, and it adds something more to it. I I generally did like Quartz being there, because it's a specific individual who wants to go after Jake, and he's very mission-orienteered. And that's the thing about this movie, too, is it's not quite so grand scale. It's focused on setting up future movies and setting the groundwork and on a smaller uh, tribe and more on Jake and his family. Personally, my favorite parts of the movie were probably the beginning because we get to see humans come back and how all this, I really love the new technology and how at the beginning you have like these giant spaceships and they destroy all sorts of stuff and humans set up new bases and that part was pretty cool. And to see how Jake uh, starts to fight back against them. And then we sort of devolve into a more smaller uh, scale, uh, not really conflicts, but where they, the family moves on 
and Jake takes his family and they they try to hide and build a new life. And that was interesting. But I definitely liked like the beginning and sort of the end as well, where they, they there's more of the conflict and stuff. I wonder how the movie would have gone if Cameron had let his ego down a little bit, written a good story rather than one that he dreamed of, because that's apparently how he gets these movies. If he had written a very compelling story with a new villain, one that could possibly mo- be moved on to a, a sequel, how much more compelling a beautiful movie with these visuals would look and a story that everyone loved. Because this is where everyone's being divided. They they love how it looks. They're, nobody's saying anything bad about how it looks. It's just the story. If we could combine a great story with great visuals, I think that would have made the movie of the century. You just basically feel a little disappointed. Well, I think basically everyone feels disappointed at this point. Not because, again, they didn't expect a great story. They kind of had their hopes that there was going to be a great story. But again, just like Avatar 1, people say it's Dances with Wolves in Space. Now, yes, Dances with Wolves in Space is a cool concept. And it isn't Dances with Wolves in Space. It is Avatar that may be based on Dances with Wolves. And I give Cameron credit for trying to make something that no one has ever seen before. That's something he does. He makes something original, which I can really appreciate. Avatar, the Navi, Pandora, all of that is original to him, not off of a comic book or a book or something. He made it up, and he made it real through movies, and I can really appreciate that in him. But yet, I don't think he's as gifted in storytelling when it comes to character development, plot development, and everyone can kind of see that. A lot of people, you were mentioning Spider earlier, people are really frustrated with him because he seems unmotivated. Everything he does is just kind of to move the plot along in some way. He's just there as a plot device and not really fleshed out. But at the same time, he plays a part in the family role that is so prevalent in this movie and we'll talk about that a little bit yeah that is interesting i find the i like the idea of spider because it's what happens if you take a person like this human and they're raised in navi culture that's a very interesting take and the character and concept is pretty cool i guess i didn't really think about him too much which is uh sort of a a downfall and the the idea of him being quaritch's son I mean, it, it, it allows for more drama, I guess, and makes Quaritch maybe more compelling. And it's an interesting twist. It's just, I don't know if that was necessarily the best take. But it is certainly an interesting concept in theory. And I certainly think it could have been executed better. Yeah. How? I'm not sure. But there's always a better way to do something most of the time. What was your What is your thought on Kiri? I don't get the point with Kiri's inclusion. I don't know why they had to include her as Grace's daughter, not daughter, fatherless daughter, whatever she is, who can also talk to fish and control them and something. I understand that that's kind of how she gets everyone out of their sinking ship, but having her inclusion didn't sit well with me just because I felt like she was shoehorned in and didn't really belong. And I'm not saying she could have been excluded from the movie, but there could have been a better way to write her into it than some weird clone of Grace from the previous movie. Yeah, that's the, it's like a weird thing. I mean, I'm pretty, I'm 90% sure that she, her father, quote unquote, is Awa because like when Grace was dying in the first film and she touched Awa or whatever. I'm pretty sure Awa just basically made her. And so I, I I wonder if they're kind of going for a sort of Jesus Christ type of character where they like born with no father and is in touch with the, the mother of the world or whatever and has a sort of weird connection to it. It's an interesting and strange concept and they're definitely setting, up, setting her up for a more important role in future films. Don't know what that will be, but it's it seems to be that she's going to be something of a, maybe not a messianic figure, but an important 
figure nonetheless who has this deep connection with Awa and however that will turn out. So we've been talking a lot about the hate that's coming onto this movie and we've already talked about how great the visuals are but let's talk about the themes that I really appreciated in this movie. I think one of the most prominent things that I can say I took away from this movie is the powerful message of fatherhood and how a father protects. Literally one of the last lines that Jake says is a father protects. That's what gives him meaning and you never see this in Hollywood anymore. It's crazy that we got a simple story about family togetherness and a father leading his family to protection and also fighting like a warrior against him. My favorite moment of this whole movie was when they were about to leave the ship and Quartz was kind of standing there yelling at them. And then Jake turns around and he's like, all right, let's duke it out. And they go hand to hand. And that was in the moment. One of my favorite parts because Jake was protecting his family and ready to lay down his life for them. This, this is the sacrificial love that gets us in the movies. And that's almost, I almost got that feeling when the older brother died. But also just all of Jake's choices to keep his family safe no matter what. And we, we just never see that prominently in a movie. A man is either the butt of the joke or he's a beta male who's <laughs> always listening to the strong independent woman who's leading him and never in charge. He's just following orders and not a man of integrity. Whereas Jake is now a warrior. He's a father. He is, his sons call him sir, which I might, might have been too far, but they respect him in the way to, enough to call him sir. And he's strict with them and he's a leader and even though yes he takes his wife's suggestions and thoughts into consideration but he also makes a strong decision and says you need to come with me even if you don't fully agree with me because trust me I know what's best it's just so strongly themed around a father leads and the family follows and that that was a really nice touch to the film that I really liked and it's interesting how we see this example of a biblical man uh, which is pretty not pre like you said before not really prevalent in Hollywood and I I think Jake really amplifies that and it's it's interesting too because fatherhood is very prevalent but also like the the character of Quaritch sort of has this fathership relationship as well because he has his son miles and even Quaritch gets to the point of uh, he fulfills his role as a father to a degree of, uh, you know, a father protects, that's what gives him purpose. And even at like the, the point where uh, Natiri, the mother, is holding his son, Miles, uh, by the throat saying, hey, you killed my son, I'm going to kill yours. And Quaritch is saying, you know, I'm a different species. I'm a clone of the original Quaritch. I haven't seen this kid in 10 years. He is not my son. He says that. And he's like, but when it comes down to the nitty gritty, even Quaritch, the bad guy, he, he fulfills his role as a father and he's willing to like let go of his prize, let go, stop his mission with the whole purpose of him being on Pandora to save his son. And his and there's this really cool part at the end, which is very clearly paralleled, where uh, Jake's son is helping lead him out of the water and Miles does the exact same thing for his father, for Quaritch, who's in under the ocean. And both of them lead their fathers to safety. And that's like a very interesting uh, symbol and so it's 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 a really nice thing that, and I really appreciate that being in the film of an example of a man who in the Bible we're we're told to uh, to be leaders to be strong and courageous for our families to sacrifice for them just as like you know it says like the the father is the head of the household. And he does that for his household. And that's the whole point of Jake leaving, of him bringing them to a new life, of him fighting to protect them. And even Quaritch does that. And I really like that. But there's other themes as well in the film. We can kind of briefly touch on this. Environmentalism is obviously, that was kind of a core of the first film. The second one as well. We have this idea of humans being colonizers, you know, coming down. And they're also upsetting the balance between man and nature. 
and like you know uh, hunting the whales essentially and all, all sorts of things like that which I found you know it's that's not too un unexpected it didn't really ruin it for me but it's another prevalent theme within the film as well I mean I, I guess I, I don't know for me but I'm kind of just pro-human so it's really <laughs> funny but like whenever I maybe it's the human supremacist in me but like whenever like the humans land I'm like yes conquer just destroy the xenos for the imperium of man <laughs> like every anytime like they're fighting jake and quartz are trying to kill him I'm like yes just shoot him get him i don't know why that's just me even like in the first film like but it that's what, it, what do you think about that yeah cameron definitely puts themes of environmentalism humans colonizing equals bad he said that he cut about 10 minutes of gun violence down in this movie which is strange coming from the guy who made Terminator. <laughs> but things change over the years, I kind of understand. But his inclusion of all of those, the environmentalism, save the planet, and also stop, you know, destroying nature, or it's a reflection of how Englishmen settled in America versus the natives. That's all kind of a political statement that he can make, and I can choose to overlook that and just look at how it helps the story. But all of that said, he can put those things in his movie. I still appreciate the fatherhood and familial themes that he put so strongly to push these characters to grow and to be basically the biblical figures, even though that's not a thing in their universe. For us, it's a reflection of what men are supposed to do in a family and how a family is supposed to act towards the father. I mean, this is the point of this whole podcast is to watch a movie, to discern, and to understand what you can get out of it while also understanding that there are things you don't need to like. This movie had strong family themes and strong fatherhood themes. Most of the rest of it probably could just be stuffed under the table and not talked about, but it's part of the movie, so we talk about it. Yeah, I mean, that's definitely true. And I think that you can also t kind of take the idea of like the theme of the the biblical father and being a good father and kind of you know if we want to think about like the other things as well just briefly to think about it but this definitely has a secular view of you know we should live in harmony with nature in balance with nature um and like awa the goddess of the the navi is literally the planet itself it's the earth they they basically have like some sort of um like a relationship with we 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 take what we need and we don't do more and that's generally seen as a more positive view nowadays and when we understand it from like a biblical perspective we're supposed to follow the creation mandate where we are stewards and I think you can apply that very well for the idea of biblical manliness and biblical fatherhood, where we are supposed to lead. We do not forget that we are given charge over nature, but that does not mean we abuse nature. And so there are many aspects within the film where I can say, okay, I understand what you're trying to say, that we should live in harmony with nature, that we shouldn't overtake, that we shouldn't do this. And to a degree, yes, I agree, but I don't entirely. And that's where the, the, the idea of fatherhood comes into even more prevalence, because a father is in charge of his household. But he doesn't. He isn't the tyrant. He commands respect from his family, but he does that to protect them. And that, the same thing can be applied with nature and with other people as well. We want to be strong and capable and honorable and respectful towards the, the planet, for example. I live on a farm, and the goal of that is to nurture and harness the power of nature to flourish human life and to bring about a better society in, in total. Okay, it's we're, we're called to be stewards and to take care of the planet, to have dominion over it, but to not abuse it. I would say the fatherhood themes and the environmental themes go hand in hand. This movie and its predecessor lean very heavily into the environmentalist mentality of save the trees and save the whales and all that. But also, there is a lot of truth to that. A lot when we say environmentalism, it's usually the belief that we shouldn't be cutting down any trees. But that's not true. We shouldn't be cutting down all the trees because we are stewards of God's earth that he's given us. We need to do it wisely. So as much as I've kind of hated on the environmentalism of this movie, it has truth to it as well. To be wise and 
while they portrayed the humans as the evil ones versus the native Navi, they also made a strong point to say, be smart with the environment. Don't just farm it for resources without considering the effect that it has. And I, I'll give them props for that as well. I suppose to kind of just wrap things up, in, in total, like, would you would you enjoy re-watching this movie? I would because I like watching the visual effects for it. I would watch it for the visuals and just for wondering to myself and wondering to others how. Because it is a beautiful movie that has broken ground on new technology that I can really appreciate. And I'm excited to learn about in depth when we get behind the scenes stuff and stuff. So yeah, I would watch it again. I don't think it's anything noteworthy like a Nolan movie. Each director has their own style. Cameron kind of is known for his visuals. Christopher Nolan is known for breaking your mind. Michael Bay is known for crazy action scenes and explosions and all that. They each kind of have their area that they excel in, and you see those movies for that reason. When I went to go see Ambulance, the Michael Bay movie with Jake Gyllenhaal, I didn't expect much from it. I was pleasantly surprised because I thought it was a good movie, but it was a Michael Bay movie, and that's why I went to see it. I went to see Avatar 2 because it's a James Cameron movie that is expected to have great visual effects. I understand that that's what I'm going to get from this director. So yes, I would definitely watch it again. Yeah, and I could definitely watch this again too, because I able to watch Avatar 1 as well and just enjoy it because these are both competent films. They're not bad films by any degree, I would say. They're competent films. They have competent stories. I mean, And when I say that, I mean, it doesn't irk you. The, the stories don't irk you. At least they didn't irk me. You can watch it and enjoy it. And I think that's very important. It's not the greatest film ever, but it is a pretty good, it's, an, it's a fine film to watch and enjoy. It's a little long, I suppose. And I, I kind of have a high view of it right now, probably because I've just recently watched it. And I think I'm thinking of it better than others have because I haven't had time to just really dig into it. I think it has more to chew on than Avatar 1. And for that reason, I think I could definitely watch it again and enjoy it again for the spectacles, for the, you know, for the themes of family and stuff like that, for the, you know, pretty okay uh, plot and characters and whatnot that, that make, that are competent enough to get you through the film. So I don't think it was a bad movie. I just think it could have been better. Agreed. Is that fair? Agreed. All right, perfect. Well, that's going to wrap it up for this episode of the One-Eyed Film Podcast. Thank you guys so much for listening. We'd love to have you guys join our Discord where we have some good discussions over there. We also have our Instagram page where I post a bunch of memes and keep you updated on upload schedules and all that. Share this with your friends and tell them they can find it anywhere. Like we, we are on everything. We're on Amazon Music, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher. Google Podcast, most importantly Spotify. If you're on Spotify, give us five stars. We'd really appreciate it. With that said, we love you guys. Have a great day. Peace. See you later.